the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and, and you, have found, you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Pray with me. God, be with us now as we study your word together. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to desire you more than anything else this world has to offer. Help us to hope in you not only for our eternal salvation, but for the grace and the strength to get through every day, to face the challenges ahead, to face the unknown of 2014. Father, may we seek to walk with you moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, in the coming year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are probably more familiar with the last section of this chapter. That's where Moses says to God, please show me your glory. I love to preach on that. And God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by. And his goodness and his mercy pass by. And God covers Moses with his hand. Because he says, you can see my back, but no man can see my face and live. And so the glory of God passes in front of Moses. And that passage inspired the great old hymn, He Hideth My Soul in the Cleft of the Rock, which I'm sure many of you know by heart. This first part of the chapter, though, raises another question, and it's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask at the beginning of a year. If you could have all the things that you ever wanted, money, health, looks, friends, love, pleasure, long life, security, if you could have all these things, but without God, would that be enough? Would you be satisfied with that? Would that be okay with you? If you could have all the earthly blessings that God could shower upon you, but without his 
presence with you on your journey through life. Would you be okay with that? I suspect that a lot of people would say, yeah, I'd take that deal. Maybe not you, but a lot of people would. And not Moses. Why? What did Moses know? What did Moses know that that perhaps we have forgotten? The context of this story is that the Israelites had been in bondage to Egypt for 430 years, and God saw their suffering, and he heard their cries, and he raised up Moses to deliver them from slavery. And because Pharaoh's heart was hard, God had to send 10 plagues upon them, each more severe than the previous one. And it culminated in the plague in which the angel of death took the life of the firstborn of every family of Egypt, including Pharaoh's own family. But the angel passed over the homes of the Israelites when he saw the blood of the sacrificial lambs that had been painted on the doorpost. And so Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go. But soon he changed his mind again when he saw his free labor leaving the country. And so he went out with his army to pursue them and bring them back. And in response, God did one of the greatest miracles of the Old Testament. He parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians tried to pursue them through the parted waters, God closed up the waters and he drowned the Egyptian army. So God delivered the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. And he pledged to take them to the land flowing with milk and honey that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But first they were in the wilderness. And they needed food and they needed water. Thousands and thousands of people and they were hungry and thirsty. And so they grumbled and they complained. And in response to their complaints, God sent them manna in the morning. And when that wasn't enough, he sent them quail for meat in the evening. And he miraculously brought forth water from a rock. And then God brought them to Mount Sinai where he met with Moses and he gave them the law and and, and all the instructions of how he was to be worshipped, how to build the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the priesthood, their vestments, the altars, the sacrifices, the Sabbath, and the other festivals. But when Moses stayed up on the mountain longer than the people expected, they asked Aaron, to make an idol for them. Make an idol for us. Make a God for us to worship. And so he fashioned a golden calf, and the people worshiped the golden calf. And after they had worshiped, they had a they had a great meal. They ate and they drank and they rose up to play, the scripture says. Seems like it was a, a loud and, and very worldly party. 
So when God saw this, he was ready to destroy the people, the, the very people that, that had cried out for help, that he had delivered from bondage and slavery in Egypt, turned against him and chased after idols, and God was ready to destroy them. But Moses intercede, interceded, and he called them to repent of their idolatry and sin. And he interceded with God and pleaded with God not to destroy his people. And so this brings us to the passage that we study this morning. Where God basically says to Moses, look, I'm going to keep the promise that I made to you and to your fathers. Leave this place. Head on out to the land of the promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm still going to give it to you. I'll even send my angel before you, and he's going to drive out the nations who are there, the Canaanites and all the other inhabitants of the land. But now I'm not going to go with you on the journey. You don't need to bother to build that tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant, which would symbolize the, the place where God meets with man on earth and his, his presence with you among his people because I'm not going to be with you. I'm a holy God. And if for a single moment I was in the midst of this sinful people, I would consume them. So that's the deal. You can still have the land. You can still have the power of God to enable you to possess the land. You can still live in the land and enjoy all the prosperity of a land flowing with milk and honey. But God says, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not going to dwell with you. My presence will not be with you anymore. So what was Moses' response? In verse 15 and 16, Moses said, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people? on the face of the earth. God, I appreciate the offer. I understand that you're not a God to renege on your promises. But I don't want to go to the promised land if you're not going to be there. I don't want to go on this journey if you're not going to go with us. I don't think I can face what's ahead of us without the knowledge and the comfort and the fellowship of God with us, living in the midst of us. I don't want just the gifts. I want the giver. And that brings us to the first point this morning that I want to bring out of this passage, and that is that the greatest gift that God offers to us is His presence with us. It's not, the, it's not so many of the things that we pray for. 
We pray for health. Nothing wrong with that. We, we pray for our financial needs to be met. And certainly that's appropriate. Especially in times when times are hard and people are having a hard time finding jobs and companies are laying people off. We pray for uh, we pray for peace. We don't want to suffer. We don't want our loved ones to suffer. We pray that God will protect us. But the greatest gift that God offers us is Himself. It's not all these other things. They're secondary. The greatest gift by far that God has to offer is just the offer of being our God and, and we being called his people. And so in Deuteronomy, when Joshua is about to begin the process of the conquest of the land, Moses gives him this Encouraging word from God, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's going to be tough. Yes, there are giants in the land and their cities are well fortified, but God is going to be with you. Be strong and courageous. And in verse 7, Deuteronomy 36, 7, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So in Psalm 73, we read, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works it is good to be near God. In some versions it says, the nearness of God is my strength. There's nothing in heaven and earth I want more than God, he says. That's what gives me comfort. That's what gives me hope. That's what gives me courage. In some, Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 10, we read, Where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And he's encouraged. 
Because the omnipresent God is going to be present with him in a special way. Because he is one of his own. He is his child. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you know, that was a huge task. Still is. Go into a hostile world. Go into a world where in the, in, in, in the Jewish realms, the Jewish leaders oppose you and persecute you. And throughout most of the Roman Empire, the Romans oppose you. And sometimes persecute you. And throughout the centuries, in place after place, Christians have faced hardships and trials and tribulation and persecution. There are countries where Christians have been wiped out. Churches have been destroyed. Right now in Syria, churches are being destroyed. Christians are living in fear. In Egypt, churches are being destroyed. All over the world. What does Jesus say to us as he sends us out on this mission to go and to make disciples? Matthew 28, 20, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. I know it's a hard job. I know it's a great commission, but I don't send you out alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. He is your counselor. He is your comforter. He is your power. I am with you always to the end of the age. John Piper writes in God is the Gospel. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? That's the question that Moses faced in this passage. Go on, Moses. I'm giving you the land. I'm going to send an angel before you to go before you and drive out the people. You can have it. I'm not going. Now, some of you may be tempted to answer, well, Heaven, no sickness, no death, friends, family, pleasure, no conflict. Sounds pretty good. But before you are tempted by that, I want you to just think about the holiday you just went through. The holiday that we just kept, the celebrations you had in your home. 
I don't know about you, but we had a great Christmas. We, we uh, for some reason, this was just the year where the presents were just flowing out under the tree and spilling over into the room, and, and we just couldn't believe how many presents there were. And uh, my kids had really uh, uh, outdone themselves. They, they, uh, they know that I like anything that has to do with flying. And so, you know, if an air, I grew up in Brainerd near the airport. I'd watch all the planes fly and could always tell when a C-5 was flying over or C-130 was flying over. And I knew all the planes by heart. And, and they, they, they knew, they know that I love everything to do with planes. So what they bought me, their special present to me this year was a leather bomber jacket. Um, I think it also says something they're tired of my lack of fashion sense. Uh, and uh, so they bought me this beautiful leather bomber jacket. It's really, really nice. I appreciate it so much. And they'd gone out of their way to make a secret present for Lisa and I. And the last present under the tree was just a little box, just a little box. And it had a note that there was a, uh, a present uh, for us and uh, we had to play the hot and cold game to find it. So we started going through the house trying to find this present. And what they had done was they had gotten a picture of Lisa and I at our, our wedding. Uh, I'm not really sure. I know it was Lisa. I don't know if that guy in that picture was me or not. But they, they had the picture of Lisa and I at our wedding. And then they had a picture of Amy and Corbin at their, at their church wedding this fall. And uh, Brian and Leah at their wedding um, uh, last summer. And they put them all together and framed them. And they, they, they had hung it over the couch in the living room and covered it with, with Christmas wrapping paper. So we go in the living room. You know, we're looking around. We're looking around. Finally, we look up and we see it. You know, we tear off the paper. And here's this picture. And it's really special. It was a great Christmas. I bet you had things like that. You did things like that for your children. So we had all these presents and all this great food, but you know what was by far the most special thing about our Christmas? Just that we were all together. It was just that the six of us were all together, and uh, we love each other, and we were all together. And... Uh, if you gave me a choice between a Christmas with the whole family together or Christmas with a lot of presents but either nobody could make it or everybody was mad at each other and not getting along. Well, I know what I would say. I don't care about the presents. I really don't. I mean, I, I appreciate so much that they, the thought that they gave them, and, and it's great. But what I cared about was that we were together. I mean, I mean just a room full of presents with, without the love of family, what, what would that do? It's kind of interesting. Well, I think it's the same way with God. What, what if you had everything this world has to offer Many of the good things that God blessed you with, 
But you don't have God himself. You don't have, your, you don't have a relationship with the creator and with your redeemer. Perhaps you're running from him or estranged from him. It's just a room full of presents. It doesn't mean anything. Would you really enjoy all the blessings God would shower upon you without his presence in your life? Would you really want the gifts more than the giver? Moses said no. And in the Psalms, Asaph and David say no. And in the same way, those who really know and love Jesus Christ will never be satisfied with all the things that this world has to offer, even the good things, without the presence of God, His daily presence in our lives. And so that brings us to the second point, because you see there was a problem. The people had sinned. It's a grievous sin. It was really in God's face. You delivered us with these miraculous plagues, with this incredible miracle of dividing and parting the Red Sea. And now we're kind of tired of waiting on Moses to come down and give us the word from God, so we just make up our own gods. We, we put together our own golden calf, and we begin to worship the idol, and we begin to party, and All kinds of things. You see, we can't have that close relationship with God because of our sin. It's a barrier. God, God said to, to Moses, if I were to stay with you for one instant in the camp, and the tent of meeting was outside the camp, if I were to be in the presence of the people, of this sinful people for one instant, I would destroy them because of what they've done, because of their sin. And so Moses pleaded with God, we read in Exodus 34, 9, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. God, forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting all that you've done for us. Forgive us for chasing after idols and the things of this world and the pleasures of this world when you are our deliverer, when you heard our cries. Pardon our sin and take us for your own inheritance. How did he do that? He does that through the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ. All the sacrifices that were about to be introduced in the Old Testament worship, performed first at the tabernacle and then at the temple, were pointing to the one Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so we read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so God looked on Christ and he poured out the wrath and the judgment that we deserve on Christ, the sinless lamb. And as I said in the outline, Jesus experienced separation from his father so that those who trust in him would never have to. If the greatest thing in the world is to know God and to live in his presence and, to, and for he to live in our presence and to go before us day by day in the, in the journeys that we're on, in the challenges that we face, then surely the, the, uh, the greatest loss would be to be separated from God. But Christ endured that separation, something that he had never experienced in eternity past. He endured that separation for you and for me so that those who trust in him would never have to. Thirdly, God never promises to take away all our problems in this life. Instead, he promises that he will always be with us in the midst of them. He will never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what happens. It seems to me that a lot of Christians today spend way too much time and energy seeking the blessings of God rather than his presence. We face some big decision. And, and, and we want God to give us a voice from heaven to tell us what to do because we're so afraid we might make a mistake. And, 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 you know, people go, there are people out there that claim to be prophets and you can go to them and usually for a, a nice donation, they'll give you a word from God to tell you which person you ought to marry, which job you ought to take, et cetera, et cetera. We want to know the future. We want to know, we want to know the right decision rather than just have the comfort that whatever we do, God is there. He's going to be with us in the midst of it. We want God to give us health and healing. Some people believe that Christians, if they have enough faith, should never be sick, should never suffer. But the Bible's full of stories of heroes of the faith who were sick. Paul himself was afflicted, and he prayed earnestly that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. Three times he prayed, and God said, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. 
going to be there with you. My power is made greatest and most manifested in the greatest way in your weakness. You need me more than you need healing. Some people want God to give them prosperity. And if you really want to have a large church, you really need to preach the health and wealth doctrine. Then, then you're going to, you can just have a mega church and you can, you can sell your books and uh, you can be on, uh, on, 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 on cable TV. Some people want God to give them prosperity so that they never have to struggle financially. And we certainly want God, and we're told to pray for our daily bread. We ought to pray for our friends and neighbors who have struggles and help those who are in need. But God is not, I hope I won't offend you if I say this, God is not like Santa Claus. You know, we want to make God out to be Santa Claus. We we. We, we want him to be a guy who comes down with a big bag of presents and he, he leaves them for everybody. If, if you've been pretty good during the year, here are your presents. I'm headed back to the North Pole. Have a good year. And even heaven. Many people want to go to heaven when they die, but, but the first thing on their mind is, well, I want to see mom and dad. I, w- I, want, to see, I want to see my grandmother. They're not thinking, I want to go be in the presence of God. Now we see him in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. The scriptures teach us over and over again that it's through many trials that we enter into the kingdom of God. God never promises to take away all our problems in this life. Look, he answers prayers. Does he heal? I've seen him heal. Does he provide? Yes, I've seen him provide in miraculous ways. Does he guide? I believe he does. Sometimes it's a circuitous route, and there are lessons to learn along the way, and maybe that's why God doesn't give you the beeline direction. He doesn't give you the last page of the novel. He takes you through a circuitous route because there are lessons to be learned along the way. But the scriptures teach us that it's through many trials that we enter the kingdom of God. And where godly men and women have always found their comfort and hope is not that God is going to deliver them from all trials, from all problems, but that God is going to be there with them in the midst of them. He will never leave you alone. He will never forsake you. great example of that is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There they are, these three young Hebrew men in Babylon. The decree is that they're supposed to bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar has erected. And they refuse to do it. They're not going to worship anybody but God. And when everybody sees that they won't worship God, they are that they won't worship Nebuchadnezzar's image, that, that they're going to continue to worship only God, they're, they're, they're taken up and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. 
did read just a, a brief verse here in Daniel chapter 3. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was in a furious rage, and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Now, at that point, I think many people, who had embraced the health and wealth gospel would, would begin to say, well, God, looky here. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to worship you. I, 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 I don't bow down to this idol. And look, I'm about to get thrown in the fiery furnace. This is terrible. I mean, how could you do this to me, God? I mean, that's what the Israelites did. They were grumbling. God had delivered them, but now they're hungry out there in the wilderness. They're thirsty out in the wilderness. Moses is delayed. They grumble, grumble, grumble. If ever there was a time for believers to grumble, it would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, how could you do this? Deliver us from this trial. Send water from heaven and put out the fire. Their answer is so perfect. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if it not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And we read in verse 23, that these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men? Three men bound into the fire, and they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men. Four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth was like a son of the God. God doesn't promise to deliver you from every trial. He promises or to deliver you out of every trial. He promises to be with you in the trial, with you wherever you go, with you in the fiery furnace. He promises. 
in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. And in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to be with you. And that's what Moses wanted. God, I want you with me. That's what I want you to want for 2014. If I say Happy New Year, you're probably thinking, well, I hope you'll have good things happen to you. Maybe there'll be a new job. Maybe if you're single, there'll be a new girlfriend or new boyfriend. Maybe there'll be a new house or a new car. Maybe, maybe you'll have good health. I hope you have a Happy New Year. Moses says, what I want most of all is for God to be with me. Whether it's happy or not, whether it's good times or bad times. What Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego say, even if I'm thrown in the fiery furnace, all that I really care about is that God is with me. That's what's going to get me through. And finally, our fourth point this morning is, when you reach the end of your journey here on earth, God will still be with you and will take you up to glory. How do you face those final steps in your journey in this world, in this life? David wrote in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I don't walk that valley alone. I'm not going to walk that valley alone. I'm not going to be by myself. I am going to walk that valley one day, and you will too. Your family won't be there. Your loved ones won't be there with you. You have to say goodbye, and you have to leave them behind. But you won't be alone. You won't be alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For the God who has been with me every step of my life, in good times and in bad times, in joy and in sorrow, So in Psalm 73, he says, you guide me, nevertheless I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, and they will, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Not, not, not just the streets of gold, not to a great mansion. I'm going to go to prepare a place to bring you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Could you be satisfied with all the blessings of God without the presence of God in your life? Would you be happy and have a happy new year in 2014 if only good things came your way, all the good things that God could give you, but not have a relationship with God himself? Moses said no. David said no. True believers throughout the centuries have always said no. What they've longed for is the presence of God in their life, to walk with Him day by day, to be with them in their trials, and to walk with them in the end through the valley of the shadow of death, to take them home, to be with Him forever. I don't know what 2014 will hold for you, but I am encouraged. And I'm ready to face whatever it holds for me because I believe that God is with me and that God is with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to long for you, to enjoy the gifts that you give, the blessings that you bring, but to love the giver more than the gift. And help us to be encouraged in all of our trials, in the uncertainty of life, in the hard times, in affliction. Not because you're always going to take it away, but because you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will be there. You are there in the fiery furnace with us. Help us to fall in love for you. In Jesus' name we pray.